Thank you, Amber and Emily. Wow, it's great. So good to spend time in the Lord's presence. I love all of you, but I love him more. (laughs) Right? I love you, but I love being with him more. And I know that you feel the same way. And he gives us that vision, right? To see things like that, to see things with the right perspective. And we've been talking... We've been talking about vision for ever since we got here, right? Yeah. And we've had a really good day. It's just been good being with you ladies and, you know, enjoying the sunshine. I loved it how this morning when it was, we were inside, it was kind of cloudy, but as soon as it was a time for it to go outside, the skies broke open and we just had this beautiful afternoon, right? And all this beautiful, um, just fellowship and the different things. And like I said to you last night, it's like a piece of heaven to me to be here with you and just enjoy it. And I want to thank um, I want to thank Julie and Rachel. They're just, you know, knocking it out. Yeah. She's doing a great, great job. And um, and you just don't even have any idea what Nicole is doing behind the scenes and Julie right hand. Yeah. It's good. It's good stuff. And all of that is because they love Jesus. And they want to make sure you have opportunities to have him ministering into your life. And so don't waste any of it, you know. Don't waste any of it. It's a joy. It's a joy. And there is no way I could do this without people working and serving alongside with me. So co-laborers for Christ. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. So last night we talked about um, vision we entered into this conversation with the lord we talked about our vision right we want to know lord do i have vision that can see past the moments in my life to the big eternity that you have for me or god have i allowed the enemy of my soul to blind my sight And put up veils in front of my eyes. See, if we really want to join in the we, we talked about the we of 2 Corinthians 4, right? If we want to join in the we, we have to have clear vision. We've got to let the light of the gospel of Christ shine so that we can see God and get so captivated with him that the rest of this stuff just becomes light and momentary. The bad stuff and the good stuff too. Now, vision was our first word, and then this afternoon we started to kind of think about uh, this word vessel a little bit, and we're going to stay on the word vessel tonight and uh, tomorrow morning too. So I want you to get your Bibles open again and your note page if you got it for tonight, and we're going to go back to verse 5, and we're going to start reading, and we're going to read all the way through verse 10, okay? And Paul says, For we do not preach ourselves. But Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed but not despairing persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed always caring about in the body the dying of jesus that the life of jesus also may be manifested in our body that's a lot that's a whole mouthful of stuff but in a nutshell paul is saying my life is not about me or in the plural 
Our lives are not about us, right? It's not about us. Read verse 5 again with me. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Paul's vision has been cleared up. That is not the way he used to be. If he had been sitting at our table tonight, right, he would have had a testimony. This is who I was, and this is who God has changed me to be. That's a beautiful ringtone, whoever has that. It's okay. It's all right. It's all about Jesus and what, what we have been called to do, whatever that is. And for Paul, it was to preach, right? What he's been called to do, it's not about himself. What God has called you to do. Maybe you have a job, maybe you're a mom, maybe you're a wife, maybe you're all of that, probably are. Okay, whatever you've been called to do, if you have roles in your church, if you have a, a ministry or a parachurch organization or something that you serve with, if you go on a mission trip, you know, if you're helping out somebody in your neighborhood, whatever God calls you to do, maybe it's a one-time thing, maybe it's a lifelong calling, it's not about you. But what is the first thought that usually comes to our minds? But what about me? <laughs> right? It's very easy for us as women to get into that place. What about me? I just take care of everybody else all the time. Well, we need to understand there's so much in it for us. <laughs> Even though it's not about us, God is so gracious that there's so much good in it for us. Listen to what he goes on to say in verse 6. We read it earlier today, but it says, For God, he said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. First of all, one of the best things we get is that we get to see God. God did not have to let us see him. We're so used to the privilege that we don't realize anymore that it's a privilege sometimes. It is a total blessing that we get to see God and that we get to know him. The same God who spoke forth light at creation. That kind of power. You know, to be able to do that. I wish I had that kind of power. Actually, I do. We're going to talk about that tonight. But to, to be able to, to, to speak things into existence like that is the same God who looks into the dark places of our hearts and just shines his light so we can see him. That is a privilege. And that's one of the best things that we get. But then we also get to experience the treasure. And that's the main thing we're going to be talking about tonight. In verse 7 it says, but we have this treasure. We need to know that. But we have this treasure. Say that out loud. But we have this treasure, right, in earthen vessels, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. So we get to see God. Then we get to experience the treasure, the same God that let us see him is the same God in that moment that put a treasure on the inside of us. You know, we've looked at, at Paul's story, um, and each of us have a story too, and, and I hope you got to share those stories tonight around the table. Like Amber said, I, I know at our table, rich things, such a variety of the ways that God pursues us through donuts and um, <laughs> trips to the park with our dad when he's sharing Jesus to women who are just gracious, who come alongside us and, you know, just people that God uses. And it's so good to be able to look back and see our Heavenly Father who pursues us. And we have a story. And so I hope, you know, you got a chance to share that. But think with me for a minute. We often minimize, I think, the why of Jesus shining into our hearts. 
we think and we tell people. In fact, one of the girls at our table was sharing how, you know, that they some people pretty much had her pray this prayer so she could know that she was saved. She didn't even really understand what being saved meant, just so she could, not just so, but so that she could go to heaven. But there was really no there was no really understanding, no explanation or anything. It was all about saying, "Okay, you just want to know when you get when you die, you're going to go to heaven." Now that's really really important. It's really important to know that when you die, you're going to go to heaven. But most of the time, the way we present Jesus to people is you want to receive Jesus so that when you die, you're going to go to heaven. And I would say to you, I think that is such a minimizing of what God is doing. I think that is such a minimizing of eternity. Because you know what? God, when he begins eternity, he begins it in your life the minute he shines his light of the gospel into your heart and puts a treasure inside of you. Your eternity begins in that moment. Heaven is absolutely a part of our salvation package that I don't want to lose out on, all right? And I don't think any of you either. But he shined to affect our lives right now. And we have access to that immediately when he does that. What does verse 7 say? But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be from God and not from ourselves. He wants us to see him so that we'll know how much better it is to live our lives for him and build on him. But he also, when we see him, he also wants us to know what he has put on the inside of us. And part of what he's put or part of what he allows us to see is that he has done an amazing work on the inside of our vessels. An amazing work on the inside of our vessels. He wants us to see what we have. That he mercifully did that. It's not about us, but God invites us to the us into the bigness of who he is and lets us experience all of that. Just out of his mercy, he lets us do that. So look with me again at verse 7. Verse 7, as we look at this word vessel. What is your vessel? Your vessel is your life. Okay, it's not just your body, it's your life. All right, he puts his spirit, the treasure is, is his spirit, and he puts his spirit inside your vessel. We talked about this earlier today in our craft time, but in the original language, that, that word for earthen vessel means made of dust, like a glass or a terracotta pot, and it also means that it's very frail and it's very fragile. And so he put his eternity-sized glory in our frail, fragile vessel. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't put anything that's really big and really powerful inside something that I know is going to break easy, right? What do I do with something that I know is going to break easy? I, I wrap it up, and I'm very careful with it. And, and you transport it carefully. You don't want anything to break it. And yet God takes the bigness of who he is, the eternity of who he is. And he says, I'm going to put it inside Amber, this fragile vessel. I'm going to put it inside Marianne and Cynthia and Jennifer and Teresa and Lori and Nicole and all of us. He's going to put his, his treasure inside us. Now, most of us know we try to act like we're not frail and fragile, but we are. We know that when we look in the mirror, we see that about ourselves. But if we look right here in this verse, it will tell us why he did that. Why did he put his spirit on the inside of us? It tells us right here that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God 
and not from ourselves. There's a definite implication in this verse. An implication that once God does that and he puts his, his power inside of you, he puts his treasure inside of you, that great, amazing, surpassingly powerful things are going to start to come out of your life. Because it's, it's like, it's, it's a given fact, he says here, that I'm doing this because the surpassing greatness that everybody's going to see once this happens, everybody's going to know it's got to be from God and not from you because you're just a broken, fragile vessel, right? You're a, 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 a fragile vessel made of dust, not broken, okay? Because he put us back together. But people are going to know. You're going to know. This can't be from me because I'm just fragile. So there's not even an, an, a question mark like if it happens, it's like when it happens. Because he's put his, his power on the inside of you. And he wants that power to be shown forth out of your life. That power that's going to break the barrier of any limitation of your humanity. That's the way God designed us from the beginning. You think back to the Garden of Eden. There was eternity written all over that time that Adam and Eve would forever, for yes, that continual length of time, experience the fullness of God in every way. He put eternity in our hearts. Now, for centuries, man has had to, you know, exist without that eternity in our hearts. And we see what it did to our world and what it's done to humanity. But through Christ, we're given that opportunity to have the bigness, the, the eternity-sized power of God put back on the inside of us. Because we were never really designed to live without it. To live without it, we just start going to the most common base way of just building lives in the sand. Because we don't know anything else to do with ourselves, right? Even looking at our eternity definition, if you want to glance at that with me again, eternity is more than an infinite length of time, right? It's a depth and a breadth of relationship with the one true eternal God. See, when God comes into your life, he starts to do deep and broad things. He starts to ask you to think in a much broader way. Now, it's a narrow way, but it's a broad way. Because he's asking you to think outside of yourself, right? He asks you to participate in a deep relationship with him that causes you to think about things that maybe other people around you don't even want to talk about, but he's wanting you to go there with him and think about those kinds of things. It's a relationship with the one true eternal God. And it invites us into a rich substance of being and an infinite extent of divine life and glory that weighs so much more than what we could ever even imagine or envision on our own. He invites us into that kind of relationship when he puts this treasure on the inside of us. It all sounds like surpassing power to me. We have that. What does that song say? I may be weak, right? But your spirit's strong strong on the inside of me it's not because of us on our own we're just glass jars maybe pray, sprayed with a little bit of glitter okay if somebody chose to do that right because we do that to ourselves we realize how fragile we are so we gotta you know dress it up a little bit or whatever but we know that we're frail and fragile easily broken but paul wants the church to see now that you're in christ it's not just about your life 
your vessel that you're hoping God's going to show up every now and bless so that you can have a good life here in the earth. And, and just when you die, you'll know that you'll get to be with him. And then you're going to have this depth. And then you're going to have this breath and all that. No, it's all supposed to start now. When you accepted Jesus, God put that spirit on the inside of you so that surpassingly powerful things would begin to happen in your life for you personally, through you, for other people. And other people who have that same treasure on the inside of them, there's going to be surpassingly powerful things that come their way out of, I mean, come your way out of their life too. That's what the community of believers are. And you're fellowshipping and, and enjoying the bigness of God that I possess and you possess because we all have this treasure, this deposit of His Spirit in our lives. And you begin to see things in yourself that surpass yourself, that surpass your feelings and your limitations and your places of comfort and labels that you've put on yourself or others have put on yourself. Things that God begins to do in your life and through your life that surpass your resources. Things that surpass the dust of this world that's all glitter on the surface but really doesn't have a lot of substance. Things that are timeless and things that are full of life. Things that are redemptive. You know, God can take the most broken of things and make it glorious way beyond what we could ever do on our own. And it sounds like those kinds of things are the things that are worthy to be built upon the rock of Jesus, right? And that's right because they are eternal things. You know, as we think about this treasure that he has put on the inside of our vessel, and we know what Paul's driving toward, right? Because we know what the last three verses say. And we know also that God is having an eternity conversation with us this weekend. I think that he just really wants to look each one of us in the face you know, sometimes you just have to grab someone's face and just get, you know, eye to eye with them. And, and I think he just wants to say, I want you to see a stronger you. When you look at yourself, because I am the treasure inside of you, I want you to see a stronger you. I want you to see a more fortified you, a more purposeful you, a more fully alive you. When you look in the mirror, you need to see a more disciplined you. Not because that's about you, but because you have the treasure of surpassing power inside of you. I want you to see a more prosperous you, a more righteous you, a more resilient you, a you that stresses less and praises more, right? Mm -hmm. A you that has untapped potential and capability that you haven't even met yet. A more powerful you that surpasses anything your flesh could ever even imagine. God wants you to stop looking at the old you. He wants me to stop looking at the old me and pull up face to face and look at a new you. That's the way it should have been from the moment you received Christ. If you were given an understanding of the gospel and your eyes came open, that's the way it should have been. And it may not have been that way. It wasn't for me either. I was saved many, many years before I understood these things. But that doesn't mean just because we didn't understand it at the beginning that we can't grab a hold of this understanding, this richness of verse 7 right now. Each of us are vessels with a treasure of the glory of God inside of us. And that's not for a puffed up narcissistic focus, right? We've got plenty of that in the world. Remember, it's not about us. What does verse 5 say? We're not preaching ourselves. This is not about us. But we do have to have a right view of us. It's a clear, right vision to be able to see God and then see what God has done in us. Because if we don't have a right view of God inside of us, 
We will not move in the eternity that he has for us. We'll constantly be looking at ourselves as ourselves, as frail, fragile, made of dust, humanity that's just hoping we're in favor with God and are going to get to go to heaven, hoping we did it right. One of the things we talked about at our table was that it's easy sometimes for people to fall into this pattern of asking Jesus in their heart over and over and over and over again. And it happens to a lot of people. Um, my brother one time gave me a book that said, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. I mean, that was the title of it. And it's not a, that's not a bad book. Because what needs to happen is if we really know the truth when we get saved, we understand he's in my heart. And now he's looking for surpassingly amazing things to start coming out of my life. You know? And it, it, all I need is the one time to ask him and to know that by faith that he actually has done something in my life. He has great purpose in putting his treasure on the inside of us. And he wants us to see that there is an eternity of power available to us. For us to be able to live in the eternity of what he has for our lives. You can't see God as bigger. You cannot see God as bigger and look at yourself as small and insignificant. You just can't. Not if you understand that he's put a treasure inside of you. His treasure. You can't see him as all wise and then look in the mirror and see yourself as dumb and stupid. Yeah. Because he's a treasure on the inside of you that has surpassing power. You can't see him as powerful and then look at yourself and think, oh, I'm just always somebody that messes everything up and I'm incapable and a failure, right? Because the surpassing treasure of God has been put on the inside of you. You're in him and he's in you. Your perception of him and the knowing of him and how he lives within you causes you to live different, to walk with bigger steps towards eternal things that surpass way beyond who you are, to talk with faith. You know, that's alone. <laughs> to talk like we have the treasure inside of us. Not talking about all of our limitations and why we can't and this is how I feel and this will never work. Because, but we talk with faith. I have a big God that lives on the inside of me. And he's, his desire is that, that the, his bigness, his eternity will be shown forth in my life. We think with thoughts that surpass our own thoughts. Why? Not because of ourselves, but because God lives inside of us. We make decisions that surpass way beyond our purposes, our agenda, our own discipline. On my own, I'm not disciplined at all. I'm a lazy bum who just wants to do things my own way. But because I have the surpassing power of God on the inside of me, I can do things that I would never be able to do on my own. And I've got to be able to look at myself and see myself that way, or I'm never going to be able to walk in the eternity of the things that God has for me. If I don't see the bigness of God's power in me, I'm going to be selfish because I've got to think I've got to hoard for myself. I can't invest in the kingdom of God because I've got to take care of me because I'm not going to see God face to face till I get to heaven. I'm not going to know that kind of power till then, but that's not a right theology. He's put a treasure inside of us for a surpassing powerful, um, a surpassing powerful things to happen. And it's a, it's a kind of life that's different. It's not a building on the sand life. It's not a common life in this world. And it should look very, very different. I'm sure you're seeing how the words vision and vessel are building on one another. 
When we see God and we see what he's done on the inside of us, we get that clear vision to be able to see ourselves the way that he sees us. We're going to go back to the Old Testament tonight, actually, and we're going to look at two groups of people. The Bible actually tells us that the children of Israel and uh, their story is really given to us as an example. That was a real story. I mean, those things really did happen, but it was given to us as an example, and it speaks a lot of things to us. There's so much richness in the story of the children of Israel and God's relationship to them, but I really think it can speak uh, very clearly to us about this idea of the surpassing power that we have when God is working in us and through us. So, um, if you want to turn to Numbers chapter 13, and I'm doing the same here. And um, as you're turning there, let me just say, I imagine you're probably familiar with a lot of this story. Um, you know, God rescued the children of Israel from the land of Egypt after they had been slaves there for over 400 years. And that wasn't an accident. That wasn't like, oh, how did that happen? I mean, before there was ever one person, God told Abraham, your descendants, who are going to be as numerous as the stars of heaven, are going to be enslaved in the land of Egypt for 400 years. And I'm going to rescue them and lead them out in a mighty way so that the world will know that I am the Lord of heaven and earth. Okay? It was, it was part of the plan. Again, sometimes we don't understand God's plans. But God rescued them, and he gave them a promise that he was going to lead them to the promised land, a land where milk and honey flowed, and there was everything was just in abundance. And it really is a picture, in many ways, of eternity, right? The, the surpassingly um, wonderful things that God wants to do and moving in and through us, just this, this pushing out of all the boundaries. God was just couldn't even have enough words that they couldn't have enough words to really describe what the promised land was. Now, at this time in history, we need to remember, we mentioned this earlier, but God's spirit wasn't alive on the inside of man, just like we talked about this morning, right? And some of the people, they got glimpses of, of the Lord because Christ had not come yet. And so God wasn't living on the inside of man. But there were some people that got to have a clear vision of God because he changed chose them. Moses was one of the ones that he chose, right? In fact, the Bible says that his face would literally shine because he would um, have these interactions with God where just the glory of God, when he would come out of his tent after meeting with God, he was literally, his face would just be like glowing, all right? So, I mean, that, that's just incredible. But he chose Moses, but you know, he also allowed the whole group of all the Egyptians to be, or all of the Israelites, once they had left the Egyptians, to be able to see, to see um, a lot of his power. You think about some of the things in parting the Red Sea, right? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, sometimes we're like, God, would you just make a way? But could you imagine if tonight, like, God started blowing the wind and, and like, this ocean in front of us, just the waves started going this way instead of this way. And not only, not only was it that he parted the sea, but the, the land became dry. You know, it's one thing to part the sea, but when it's been the sea for ever since the world has been, you'd think it'd take a little while to dry out, right? But it didn't. It was dry land that they walked on. There was no mud on their feet when they got to the other side. They weren't sinking down in the quicksand or whatever. I mean, God just made a way, and they got to see that. They saw him rescue them with all these plagues out of Egypt. They saw him rain down manna and meat, you know, from heaven. And we could go on and on describing all these things that they had seen 
clear vision to see the glory of God. God made a way for him, uh, for them to do that. And the Bible tells us that God's spirit, as they moved along through the wilderness, was literally like hovering over them in a cloud of fire at night and a a cloud um, during the day to just lead them and guide them. You know, again, that, that just helps me to know it is God's desire that we see him and that we know him. Because Christ had not come yet, and yet he showed up in this way for his people to be able to see him and know. We were not designed. No people on this earth were ever designed to do life without the Spirit of God. We have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. And when our spirit is not alive, things are not right. And just like a parent who doesn't have a child in their life, if that child has run off, things are not right. God, when, when his children do not have their, his spirit inside of them, it bothers him. And so he will show up in their lives in ways, doing things, trying to draw them back to himself and this is one of the ways he was even doing that of showing the children of Israel this is who I am he knew that Jesus wasn't going to be born on the earth for years and years and years but he showed his glory to these people alright God showed up and so they come to the edge of the promised land and God tells Moses to get 12 spies and they're going to go into the promised land and they're going to look around And then they're going to come back with a report. Now, God had already promised the children of Israel, this is your land. He told them, this is where I'm taking you. And he tells Moses to do that. So, I know that all of us probably know the story, but there's 12 spies. Moses picks them. There's one from every tribe from the tribe of Israel. And they're told to go look at the land and look at the people and look at the fruit and look at the camp and look at the numbers. And then take a good long look at it and then you come back and you tell us about it. So in Numbers chapter 13, we find that after they were in there, these 12 spies, for 40 days, they come back and they've got a report to give. And so let's pick up in the midst of this very important conversation, starting in verse 30. It says, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. That's the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. And then listen to this. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. Do you see that? How do they see themselves? grasshoppers. God had promised the land to them and they saw themselves as grasshoppers. The Spirit of God had done all these things and they hadn't just watched with their eyes but they had experienced. They had eaten the meat. They had drank the water out of the rock. They had collected the manna. They walked through on the dry land and they saw themselves as grasshoppers. God hovered over them every day. Fire and cloud and and, and he allowed them to be defeating enemies before them as they went on this way. And they saw themselves as grasshoppers. There was only one man in the bunch who was able to see God and then see himself correctly. It's so important that we have a right vision of God. But it's also important that we allow that vision of God to give us a right view of ourselves. So what do you do when you look inside your vessel? What do you see? 
when you look inside your life? When you look at your life, do you see a grasshopper? Or do you see an eternal glorious treasure of God who has surpassing power that he wants to move through your life? Do you see yourself as small and frail and weak and one of many, not significant and not capable? Or do you see your vessel, your life as having an eternal treasure on the inside of it? It's not a treasure that you store away and wait that you're going to use one day when you get to heaven. It's not that kind of treasure. Those treasures are really useless. It's like the, the mom who gets the china and she stores it away because she doesn't want anybody to break it. You know, that makes no sense. Get it out and use the stuff, right? And God gave us this for a purpose that the surpassing power may be of God, may be seen of God. It's eternal. That means it will stretch high and wide and deep. You can use this treasure all the time. It's never going to run out. There's plenty of it. In Christ, we have an eternal treasure on the inside of us. We don't have to wait for heaven to use that. We have it now. You know what? In heaven, you're not going to need surpassing power. You need surpassing power right now. And so that's why he put it inside of you. In heaven, everybody around you is going to be very aware that God has surpassing power. They need to see it right now. And so if you're not using it now, if you're not seeing yourself as having that treasure on the inside of you, that is getting rendered useless. This eternity that God has put inside of you is getting rendered useless. This treasure. And note this as well. The vision you have of yourself, you will impose it on others. Did you see what they said? We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. How did they know how they looked to them? How do they know? I doubt they talked to them. They were afraid of them, right? They were intimidated by them. They didn't speak the same language as them. They just presumed that they saw them as grasshoppers. And don't we tend to do the same thing when we're insecure about certain things in our lives? Now fast forward with me 40 years later, and we're going to look at the second group of people. This generation who had seen themselves as grasshoppers, the ones we were just talking about, they all died in the wilderness because God did not allow them to go into the promised land. They died because of their lack of faith, except for Caleb and also another one of the spies who had a change of heart, okay? And his name was Joshua. Now, I personally had always thought that Joshua stepped up right away with Caleb. But when you really read the text, you find that he didn't. He didn't say anything. Now, I don't know if he was agreeing in his heart, but he didn't step up. Or maybe he did step up and the Bible doesn't tell us. But it doesn't appear until a little bit later that he actually realizes, oh, wait, this is not a faith at all. And so he has a change of heart. If you look through Numbers 13, you'll see that. But praise God that he did adjust Joshua's vision because all these years later, God is ready for this second group to try again. Okay, And he calls Joshua to actually lead them. He's been taking care of the people all these years, hovering over them. The promised land still stands for them. He, he's been speaking to them about it. He's been defeating their enemies, taking care of them. They've seen his glory moving, and now they're at the edge of the promised land again. But there's this huge wall around Canaan that is the promised land. And so it's keeping them away. You know, and a lot of times in our lives, we have walls that are keeping us from the things that we feel like God has for us. So God gives them these crazy directions to walk around this wall for seven days and worship 
and blow on ram's horns. All right? And you think about that, all right? This direction did not seem consistent with almighty, all-powerful, eternal God. I mean, I, I think if I had been there, I would be like, can you just send some lightning? Or um, how about some fire and knock that wall down? Or just how about a bulldozer just out of heaven, just come and, and knock it over? That would seem more consistent with the way God had been having them fight and the things that he had been doing that were just like mind-blowing things. But God said, just walk and don't say a word. You're not allowed to talk. I think he said that because he knew they would be like, what are you doing? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> you know, and so he's like, just shut up. We're not even going to say a word because I know you too well. And I know how fast it will go on a downward spiral. So don't say a word. All right. Just walk around, walk around every day for seven days. So what did they do? They pick up their horns. They follow God's lead. And they do this day after day. I was thinking about this the other day and I thought they probably felt like they were walking around in circles. Because they actually were. <laughs> they actually were walking around in circles. And I really believe God had them do it over and over again to test their trust, to test their faith. And he had them do it with ram's horns, I think, to show it had nothing at all to do with the weapons that they were using. Weapons of a ram's horn do not knock down walls, all right? It was worship. It had everything to do with the surpassing power of God. See, surpassing power is eternal power. It's a power that's not limited by anything. It can use anything it wants to use because it doesn't really need anything at all. It surpasses everything. As I look at that word surpass, I, I see the word surely, like S-U-R-E, like, it will surely pass, like, anything that I could imagine. It will go beyond it. So day after day, they march, they march, they march, they blow, they blow, they blow. They trust God. They see His glory and know He was with them. And they see themselves through their vision of Him. It's not that they see anything in and of themselves. They just know the God that they've been able to see. And they trust Him. They believe Him. So they see themselves as powerful too. I mean, you think about probably the insecurities that they dealt with. Who knows that the people of his, uh, the people of Canaan were hanging over the walls, you know, jeering at them, throwing things at them. You know, I mean, if this doesn't work, and the, the Canaanites get, you know, all in an uproar about it, I mean, maybe they're going to climb over the walls and, and shoot them down, and they're going to all die in the wilderness. They've certainly seen their parents die in the wilderness. Think about when they're laying in their camps at night, wondering and crying out to God and thinking, what on earth are you doing? I mean, the insecurities of these moments, if we'll just think about them for a little bit. But he called them, trust me. Trust me with your vessel. And Joshua, the spy, who had learned to trust God 40 years prior to that, actually led the people to doing this day after day, and they took the walls down. On the seventh day, just like God said, the walls fell down, and they lived before him, seeing themselves as he saw them. They won the battle, and that story is going to be told for all eternity. I cannot wait to get in heaven and talk to some of these people and say, what was it like to walk around that wall over and over again, to not be able to say anything, to know that God had said, shut your mouth and trust me and worship me.
Grasshoppers can't make walls fall down, and neither can people. But the surpassing greatness of the power of God through people makes walls fall down. And these are stories, you know, from long ago, but they are stories that have eternal reverberations. All these years later, we're sitting in a house in the Outer Banks talking about these stories. Because our lives have stories too. And our lives have the potential to have eternal reverberations, to change history, to change people's lives. Centuries from now, I wonder what's going to be said about your life or my life. Right? Or our families alive. Were we people who saw ourselves as having a treasure of surpassing power on the inside of us, living with eternal purpose, or are we somebody that's just doing what everybody else does, hoping we'll have a good life here and then get to enjoy God in heaven and somehow thinking in our minds he's going to give us an American version that we're dreaming about in heaven. Ladies, we need to have biblical thought processes, and we need to change this this mindset that is so messed up in the church today, because it, it, it prescribes salvation, and people don't even understand what salvation is, and then we live these little lives when God has said, I'll put my big, my big eternity surpassing power inside of you. It's just, it's just a shame, I think, in many ways, what we've done with the gospel. But it doesn't have to stay that way if we will become women who really know what God's word says about salvation and what he gives us. Our vision of God and our vision of his treasure in our vessels will determine what we do with God's plan for our lives. It really, it really will. You know, I read, or I heard someone say not too long ago, I wrote it on this little piece of paper, God's plans are his preferences. In other words, what God prefers for us. And I believe one of his plans is 2 Corinthians uh, 4, verse 7. That surpassingly powerful things are going to happen in our lives because he saved us and put the treasure of his life inside of us. That's his preference for us. But whether or not we experience his preference has a lot to do with our participation and what we do with that preference. Because a lot of it has to do with how we see ourselves, how we see him working through us. There are all kinds of ways that the surpassing power of God will reveal itself in our lives. In the high places, the low places, the big moments, the little. Paul goes on to talk here about how his power works in really, really hard times. So tonight we're going to talk about that a little bit. How does his power work in the really hard times? Because Paul was in a really hard situation, a very low emotional time. He had been deeply hurt. He was suffering emotionally from what was going on. I'm sure it caused him to question his calling and his purpose. And am I really supposed to be ministering to these people? Did I really write what God told me to write? You know, all of that. And so that that's 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 full of anxiety and question and things that could just cause you to despair. But listen to what he says in verses 8 through 10. These verses are so powerful in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Now, in some ways, you would think... If they've got the Spirit of God inside of them, and he was put there to do like surpassingly powerful things to them, for them, and through them, that 
These words, afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, certainly shouldn't be happening to them, right? I mean, if he's really the surpassingly powerful God, why is this a description of Paul's life in this moment? It doesn't sound surpassingly powerful. It sounds surpassingly horrible, actually. But if you only look at what their circumstance is without looking at their attitude, you'll miss seeing what the real power actually is. They are afflicted in every way, but they're not crushed. They are perplexed, but they're not despairing. They are persecuted, but they're not forsaken. They are struck down, but they're not destroyed. Can I just tell you, only the power of God can produce that kind of attitude when you're in a really hard situation. And that power has its root in seeing God for who he is, seeing the treasure he's put on the inside of you, and that knowing that God is working in a surpassingly powerful way, even though it doesn't make any sense to you. He's surpassing beyond the moment. He's surpassing beyond the circumstance. He's surpassing beyond the struggle. That attitude surpasses the normal way that most people would respond. And people can't have that kind of attitude on their own. Only people that have this surpassingly powerful treasure on the inside of them can have that kind of attitude. I noticed something about these words as I was meditating them on them. The Holy Spirit was showing to me that each one of these words that describes how they feel goes on to a word that they are not, right? And all of the not words are words of finality. In other words, crushed. When something's crushed, it's done, right? There's no more usefulness at all. When something is despairing, hope is gone. The, the, the definition of despair is the absence of hope. Like hope is over. It can't be recovered. Forsaken means totally, you know, turned my back on you. I'm never coming back. It's over. Destroyed means it's done for, right? There's no usefulness for this thing anymore. But see, ladies, we've got to get to the place where we realize these words can't even be in our vocabulary if we're building for eternity. If we really see the treasure that's been put on the inside of us, we cannot use words like crushed and despairing and forsaken and destroyed because they can never describe us. Things are going to happen in our lives that are hard things. God never promised us that we wouldn't have brokenness in our lives. We live in a broken world. But when we understand that we've got eternity on the inside of us, these words of, of, of finality cannot define us. Why? Because we serve a resurrected God who's in the business of resurrecting things and people. He resurrected over death, and he holds the keys to death. And nothing dies in his presence without a resurrection. So things can't be done for. Things can't be over. Things can't be crushed, never to be, you know, put back together. And that's the beauty of having a right vision of God and his treasure on the inside of your vessel. Paul says he's afflicted, and he was afflicted in this moment. It hurts. It hurts real bad. <laughs> has it ever hurt real bad in your life? It all has for all of us. But he says, but I'm not crushed. He says, I'm not crushed because this isn't even about me. He's got a vision beyond all of that. And he knows that God works things together for good. He says, I am perplexed. I know this word has, this phrase for me has been really big in the last couple of years. I'm very perplexed about some things. I look at God sometimes and I'm like, Really? Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, I don't get that. Now, I don't, I don't say that in a disrespectful way to him, but I'm just like, that just makes no sense to me at all, God. It's totally perplexing. But I've made the decision to say, I'm not going to despair. 
I'm never going to be without hope because I serve a God who lives on the inside of me who's all about resurrecting things. I might not understand it, but I know the one who does. And he lives inside of me and he can renew my hope. Persecution? We may be. And Lord knows, I mean, it might be coming for us in our lifetime in a way that we've, you know, not even dreamed of experiencing. But we never, ever, ever will have to deal with the finality of ever being left alone, all because God said he will never leave us or forsake us. I mean, we can be, we can be left on a desert island all by ourselves, but we're not alone because God himself lives on the inside of us, the eternal God struck down and I'm sure they felt like that and I'm sure some of us have felt like that by circumstances in our lives but we have to see ourselves as not destroyed because you have a treasure of life on the inside of you which is God himself and he's never going to be struck down right to be destroyed they tried but what happened he resurrected over all of that that's why they could say what they, Paul actually wrote at the end of this chapter and what we're memorizing. Say it with me. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. How are they being renewed? How are they being renewed? By the treasure that lives on the inside of them. The Holy Spirit, the eternal God, doing a work on the inside of them even when life on the outside looks like it's falling apart. Renewing their faith, renewing their hope, renewing their vision with the goodness of God that sees beyond the moment and into the bigger work that God is doing. That's real stuff. It's not just Christian verbiage. That's why it's so important to tell the stories so that people see God really does do stuff like that. He really does give surpassing power to people. How in the world could she go through something like that and still have joy in her life and still be doing things that, you know, make a difference and, and not be crawling in a hole and suffering with depression and all this kind of, because she has a surpassingly powerful God on the inside of herself and she sees herself that way and she sees beyond the moment she has an eternity vision of her vessel. You know, we've been talking about building in eternity. Every act of faith in those kind of moments. Choosing to believe God. Every time we trust God and allow his power to take us beyond ourselves. And not allow those finality words to define us. Every time we do those things, we're laying brick after brick after brick after brick for our eternal dwelling, our eternal home in Christ. See, even though they have these troubles, which are big troubles, how do they see them? As light and momentary. You know? A lot of times we don't go, oh, it's been so bad. You know, oh, but I know God's going to take care of me. You know, but we spend 20 minutes telling how heavy it is. And, oh, God's going to take care of me. You know, how about saying, oh, it's all right. Let me tell you what God's been doing, how he's been like helping me in this and helping me in renewing and all of this. I mean, the way we talk says a lot about what we, what we see on the inside of us, our light and momentary troubles, our God's doing something through them. Do I know what it is? Not always, but I know that he's God and I know that's how he works. See, the Holy Spirit within them gives them the vision to see that to the eternal glory when they participate. Right? And those preferences of how God wants them to experience life. And it becomes a glory that's so heavy, it makes the other stuff seem like nothing. 
because God's glory is so good. We talked last night about how we all have situations. Paul had situations. Every one of us have situations. If we don't have a clear view of God through Christ and a clear view of us in Christ, when hard situations come, I miss the surpassing power alive on the inside of me. And usually what happens is I go into survival mode. And I just kind of like try to put my stakes down in the sand and batten down the hatch and weather it out, you know, and just, and just try to make it through. And I, I dodge the crushing and I start medicating the despair and I protect myself in bitterness and anger and selfishness or materialism or whatever I can to make myself feel better in the moment just to hang on to this life that I'm trying to have here that I want to be good but I can't make it work. But if I have a clear view of God and I have a clear view of me in him, when hard situations come, this surpassing power that's not for me just like rises up and takes over and it renews me and it reminds me of what he's doing. And sometimes it even allows me to see what he's doing. I, I can tell you in my own life in the last like six months, God has started more and more giving me some dreams of things, like allowing me to see some things that are coming, giving me the confidence to know, hey, even though it looks like this, don't you worry at all, honey, because this is what I'm doing. And it is the like coolest thing, you know, to be able to press into this treasure on the inside of me. God said he's going to do that in the book of Acts. He said we're going to dream dreams and see visions and have a surpassing power and do greater works than Jesus himself did. He said that. How many of us see that happening? Right? I want to see that kind of stuff happening. My anthem all summer long, there's a worship song that says, God of miracles come. I want to see God doing miracles. There are broken people all around us that need to know of the treasure of God, that they do not have to build these sandcastles that just keep washing away and be broken and heartbroken all the time and despairing of life and, you know, all of these finality words. And then they just start medicating it with all these different means that this world does. It's such a brokenness. And I cannot imagine what the God of heaven feels when he looks down on that and knows what he has offered us. And we don't even understand what it is for our lives. I'm sure it just breaks his heart. It's a treasure we have. And we can live beyond these things that really are light and momentary. Verse 10, we're going to get into this more tomorrow night, but it says, he says, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. See, Paul was willing to embrace the death of this life. The brokenness of this life, the hard stuff, the pain, the inconvenience, the lack of comfort, the junk, just like Jesus did because he could see that Jesus lived on the inside of him and he knows even if he has to embrace the death, resurrection always comes. That's a vision of eternity that sees beyond this life. Paul knew the gospel. He knew what happened when Jesus died. He knew there was a resurrection. So Paul knew no matter what, I'm carrying around this treasure, there's not going to be death. Death is not going to hold me down in any way. Not emotional death, not physical death, you know, not death of, of relationships. They, they don't have to happen. They might look like they're dead, but my God raises things up. Three days might look like three years, but my God resurrects things. He's always in the business of resurrecting things. You know, I know tonight some of us have some really hard things going on. 
And I just want you to be encouraged. I hope this is encouraging. To have eternal vision. To see what you have on the inside of you. To direct your attitude. I want to ask you, can you have eyes to believe that no matter what, God is doing something good? Or are you going to look at your life like a grasshopper, you know? The ones who looked at themselves like grasshoppers died in the wilderness. Their purpose came to ruin because they wouldn't look at God and believe him. They wouldn't look at God and believe him. Now, interestingly enough, grasshoppers in the original language really means locusts, okay? It's synonymous with locusts. And we know what locusts do, right? When a swarm of locusts come in, what do they do? They ruin things, right? They destroy things. And remember that word perishing? One of the, one of the definitions of it is come to ruin. When situations in us and around us cause us to see ourselves as small, as temporal, as limited, as lacking, as weak. I mean, we could go on and on with those kinds of ways that we see ourselves sometimes. The eternal work that God wants to do in our lives and through our lives is actually ruined. The grasshopper mentality spoils it. We begin to project that on other people and it leaves us purposeless. We're not building for eternity then. We're just trying to survive in the sand and hoping for something better in another life. God put his treasure inside of us, ladies, for more than that. More than that. I can tell you, he does not do things like I would do them. He does not do things like I would do them. I have a lot of questions to ask God when I leave this earth. I'm definitely perplexed about some things. There are times that I feel like I'm just going around in circles and I'm not getting anywhere. We're just doing the same thing over and over again, God, and it's, it's nothing's happening. There are times that I'm in a wilderness and I'm like, but God, you said we're going to the promised land. When are we ever, you know, going to get there? There are times when it looks like to me that we're using ram's horns and, and we should be using like a machine gun, God. This is not working at all. And so I get perplexed. I get perplexed. And, and probably you do too. And if there's things going on in your life right now, you're not alone. I've got to work through those kind of feelings, you know, just because I stand up and teach the Word of God and tell people about these truths. It's a struggle to believe these things a lot of times. It's a day-by-day commitment to say, I'm going to believe what God says instead of rely on how I feel today because my feelings can be all over the map about things. I've got to decide, like Paul, this is not about me. It's not about me. And I've got to not allow Satan to block my view and the treasure on the inside of me. I'm sure Paul felt the same way. I look forward to talking to him as well. But I'm so encouraged by the example that he sets. And I'm so challenged by it. He focuses on eternity. Not just a continuum of time. But a quality of life with the one true eternal God. And his life is a testimony of a life that built well. Right? A life that built well. Built well. We're going to just stop right now for just a moment and just have a time if any of us want to have some prayer about places maybe where we're afflicted, right? Or where maybe we are perplexed or where maybe we feel persecuted or struck down. And what we want to do is pray not for necessarily for God to come in and fix that situation. God can do that. What we want to pray about is 
for us to see the power of God to be able to look beyond that situation and not despair and not feel crushed and not feel forsaken, right? To not succumb to that situation but look beyond it. Well, as we finish out, I have one more thought I want us to share um, together in. It was something the Lord um, had me land on when, when I was just doing some Bible study and looking for something else, actually. And it's about these spies, and I think it really can um, just speak into our hearts in a different way about um, this treasure that we've got. So I was, I was doing some Bible study, and I was actually looking in a, a hard copy of a concordance. I know these days a lot of times we do that online, and most of the time I do too. But, you know, I still have some of the big old books where you look through the, you know, concordance. And for whatever reason that day I was actually doing that. You know, the words are about this big on the page, you know, on those things. And I was looking for something, and as I was looking, my eye caught um, this word, and it, it was the word gaddy, G-A-D-D-I. And beside it, it said, fortunate. And then right underneath it, real teeny, it said, a Massonite spy. And it said, Numbers 13. And I had just been studying in Numbers 13, because that's where we were tonight. And I thought, I wonder if that's the name of one of the spies. So I went there and looked it up, and I thought, I'd never paid attention to their names before. Sure enough, Gaddy. He was, the ma- he was from the tri- tribe, from the Massonite tribe of, of the children of Israel, and And he was one of the spies. And his name actually meant fortunate. So that just kind of got my attention too. And I thought, well, I wonder about the other 11. And I wonder what their names meant. You know, in in Bible times, names held a lot of significance. You know, they didn't just go for the sound. It was what they actually (laughs) meant, okay? (laughs) So how fortunate, his name meant fortunate. And how fortunate that he was born in that time to have the opportunity to be chosen to be a part of the eternal glory of God of going in and taking over the promised land. I mean, that was like one of the biggest conquests, one of the biggest moments. It was such a picture of of really our eternity that we have with God. I mean, there was so much. He was so fortunate. So, like I said, it piqued my interest, and so I just went on the search, and I thought, I want to find out about the other ones. So I went through one by one, reading their names, and then going back and looking them up and saying, what do their names mean? And I want, I want to read the list of names and what they mean. It's really fascinating. First, there was Shemua, okay? And his name actually means re-owned. And I was like, oh, well, what's that, God? And he said, he used to be owned by Pharaoh, and now he's owned by me, because I had a really good purpose for him. And I'm like, oh, okay. So then the next one was Shapat, and his name means judged, and that's not a bad thing. See, he was judged to be the leader in his tribe, so he got chosen for this very important role. And then Caleb, Caleb's name means bold, okay? And then there was this guy named Egal, all right, their names are kind of crazy, but his name means God redeems. And then there was Joshua. Joshua's name means to save. Palti, his name means Jehovah has freed. And then there's Gaddy or Gadiel, some versions say. That's the one I told you about. His name means fortunate. Then Amiel, his name means my kinsman is God. In other words, like my brother is God. Sefer, his name means protected. Nabi, his name means concealed. And Geuel, his name means majesty of God. 
And I pondered this with the Holy Spirit, and it was amazing to me that he had even let me see that. Because there were literally probably a thousand words on that page because they were so small, and my eye just happened to catch it as I went by. And so I pondered that alongside with what I knew that God was trying to say this weekend, I believe, about eternity, and especially in this message, about what's on the inside of our vessels, and thinking about verse 7, that we've got this treasure And alongside what I also know to be the sovereign hand of God, he watches over every detail, especially names in scripture. So many of them had such prophetic purpose. And so I just have to throw out what I heard someone say recently, a holy hypothesis, okay? And it's not something that I know for certain, but I would say a holy hypothesis, hypothesis, it's late and I'm tired and I can't say that word, but you know what I mean. I think that every one of these spies were created. Like when God created them, they had the eternal destiny that they were going to be one of the 12 that would go into the land of Canaan after God brought them out 400 plus years in the land of Egypt and they were going to be one of the 12 that's going to go in and take this promised land and do this in the power of the one true eternal God. That was God's preference. That was God's plan for their life. Their names actually prophesied of the glory of God, the eternity of God, the surpassing power of God working in their lives. And yet, two, Caleb, whose name means bold, and Joshua, whose name means to save, actually built on that plan that God had planned for their lives. The the rest let it fall to ruin because of the way they viewed themselves. They saw themselves like a grasshopper. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, God took my thoughts to thinking about, okay, when I get saved, I'm given a new name. And that name is Christian, right? I become a believer in Christ and I am in Christ. I'm given a new name, a new identity. I'm a Christian. And there are things that are a part of the life of Christ that are now a part of me that I have to see by faith. I don't always feel them. I don't always see them when I look in the mirror. I'm maybe not experiencing them, you know, right now in this moment. But the Bible calls me to receive them by faith. He tells us in his word who we are now that we are a Christian. And we have to believe that by faith. It's it's bigger than our own feelings. And I look around this room and I, I was thinking about the ones of you coming here and the unique way that God has created each of us and the destiny that he's put on our life, the unique stories that each one of us have and the surpassing power that I know because you're in Christ that he's put on the inside of your vessels because you are bearing the name Christian. And I have to wonder, what kind of eternal, surpassingly powerful things does God want to do in you and through you? What was he thinking about when, like we read in Psalm 139, he put your frame together and took this blob of substance and said, I'm going to make Jennifer. You know, what was it when he knew you were going to be saved and he was going to put his name of his son on you and all that that means and all that that holds? As a treasure, as, as a carrier of this treasure bearing the name Christian, How does he want those truths of what that means to be displayed in surpassingly powerful ways? I mean, some of us have some amazing gifts in this room. Some of us have talents that God's blessed us with, resources 
that he has put in your hands, positions of influence that he has given you, the discipline that he's developed in you, the personality traits that are traits that are so unique to you, that are so catching to the world, experiences that he's allowed you to have. Ten spies had a very rich deposit in their lives. Their names spoke of that deposit, prophesied of that, and yet their grasshopper mentality ruined it because they looked at themselves instead of God and the power that he had. Destiny ruined because they were in a situation that looked way bigger than themselves. Newsflash, ladies, when you are building with God for eternity, it's always going to be bigger than us. Because eternity is bigger than us by its very nature. You know, names that are given to people usually have one, maybe two meanings, right? You know, we could look up the meaning of our name and maybe some of you go, oh, I wonder what Cynthia means, you know, or whatever. We're not talking about that name, okay? We're talking about the name Christ, the name Christian, that name that we've each been given. His name holds a wealth of meaning. But, you know, if we could just get hold of one thing, that his name means in our life and really take hold of it and really see ourselves in that way. Like being in Christ means that you are dearly loved. So what if you really took hold of that and every time you looked in the mirror, you were so aware that God dearly loves me or that maybe one of, one of the things that it means when you are in Christ is that you possess power, you possess um, love and you possess self-discipline. That's part of your name now, that you are in Christ. So when you look in the mirror for you to see yourself that way, I am a powerful girl. I am a disciplined girl. I am a girl who is loved. I mean, if you really grabbed hold of one of the meanings, when there's literally hundreds of meanings of what it means to be in Christ, speak of the destiny that he has for us. Even in the midst of affliction, perplexing situations, persecution. Ladies, we've got to see the treasure that's on the inside of us and not let it come to ruin. And I just have to know it broke God's heart that those 10 spies didn't receive that destiny. I don't want him to look at my life like that. I don't want that to be ruined. May all, Lord, if you'll just bow your heads with me and let's pray, God, may all that your name means to us and in us, move us to live in the surpassingly powerful eternity of your greatness, God.